Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. If money affects your life in any way, Money Making Sense will talk about it. Be financially healthy, wealthy, and wise. Here's your host, Heather Kelly. Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're talking about the pitfalls of investing in a new business. And joining me today is Michael Brett. He's the founder and CEO of Small Cap Equity Advisors. So welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, I want to start a new business. Give me money. <laughs> you know, I've been in business 30 years. I hear that all the time. And my first question is, why? Why do you want to go in business? And Because I have to drill down to find out what their true motivation is. And you would be surprised. Everybody wants to be Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos. They have this fixation in their head. If they have their own business, they'll be extremely wealthy. And... It doesn't always work out that way. I don't disagree because I have had that thought cross my head from time to time. However, in the last two years with the pandemic, we've had this great resignation. And I'm not sure that all those people are necessarily wanting to go into business to become a Zuckerberg or a Bezos. They just want to have a better work-life balance or not have to deal with possibly going into an office that somebody else controls if they have to be around a lot of other people or maybe they were forced to work at home but they don't want to how do you help people like that who maybe want to go into business yeah that's a good question if there's one thing that we've all learned for the last over the last two years with this pandemic is you have to adapt well in advance of any kind of you know emergency like you know like this pandemic the other question I ask is somebody who wants to go into business is, first off, what type of business? How much capital are you going to need to get this kicked off? What are your sources of capital to invest in the business itself? Because if you're going to reach to outside investors, the first question they're going to ask is, how much skin do you have in the game? How much money have you put in? And a lot of entrepreneurs want to say, well, I've got sweat equity in it. Well, nobody's really interested in sweat equity. That that's just your contribution for wanting to start your own business. So take a restaurant, for instance. Prior to the pandemic, you know, the food business, the restaurant business was difficult just as it was. Then you had this pandemic where you're closed down and you can't get foot traffic to come in the restaurant. So a lot of small mom and pop uh, companies went out of business. Well, the ones that really stayed in business are the ones who could pivot to online e-commerce in addition to having their storefront. So again, uh, somebody going into business, if it's a true startup, 
they really need to plan what type of business they're going to come into, what's the competition. And you would be surprised. You know, I've gone to thousands of presentations and conferences over my career. And all of us investors, we always ask the question, what's your competition? And many people say, well, we don't have any competition. Well, that's a red flag right there. So again, what I do as a consultant and advisor is I drill down into, you know, the nitty gritty of what type of business, the capital requirements, what's the competition, things of that nature, because those are all important when we start to plan out helping them to open the doors. How far in advance do you think some of this planning needs to be before Uh, they open their doors? Yeah, at least a year. And again, it depends on what kind of business. If, If you're starting, let's say, a consulting business, which you could do now out of your home, some service type business like that, you know, you probably don't need a year, but you really need to think what kind of consulting are you going to do? What is your client base? How are you going to charge? Are you going to do just over the internet and, and computer or things of that nature? If you're going to have a retail establishment, a restaurant, a retail store for clothing or shoes or whatever it happens to be, that really takes a lot of planning because it's location, location, location. You really need to uh, pick the right location and be able to afford that location in the long term. And I always tell uh, clients, look, you need to do a year of planning, but you also need to set aside two years of money for your personal expenses, house payment, food, clothing, everything, on the assumption that you're not going to make any revenue for two years. So it takes a lot of planning and, you know, really drilling down to those bare uh, necessities to let people know because 90% of businesses go out of business in the first two years. A lot of reasons for that. Lack of capital for one thing, but they really didn't do the research on the type of business they're getting into. Is there really a market for it? Is the competition so ingrained that it's going to cost you a lot of money to knock them out of the park and have the consumer consider you. So again, the more planning you can do, the better. Okay. So I have a friend and no, it's not me. This isn't euphemism, (laughs) (laughs) but I do have a friend who has been unhappy in her work life the last probably five to six months. Things have just been going downhill And so she does want to open up her own shop. It's kind of a clothing shop, but it's handmade type items. And she tried, she's called around to try to rent out some storefronts and she's in a very, very small town. And so far, none of them have rented to her. But I think if would have, I think she would have gone into business like next month as soon as they gave her the lease. What's wrong with that? Well, there could be a couple of things. Either she doesn't have a solid business plan that she can show the landlords that she can make the rent, you know, showing sales projection. Because as a landlord, they'll look at her as a startup, a true startup, zero revenue, just an idea. And again, like I said, 90% of businesses fail, especially retail. They have, you know, a mortality rate that's very high. So the reason she's probably not getting a landlord to rent to her is they don't believe she can pay the rent on time, no income, you know, things of that nature. That's probably first and foremost in their mind. The way she can overcome that is to walk in. Now, look, I'm not a big fan of business plans for a lot of people. But in this case, 
to get a space from a landlord, you would really need to uh, have a copy of the business plan, you know, who you are, what you're doing, where you're going to go, and how you're going to get there. Show the landlord how long it's going to take you to gear up for your cash flow to come in, and then show the landlord how you're going to pay the rent until the cash flow starts coming in, and also demonstrate that you have the background in this particular business to make a success of your business plan. I think those are some of the steps she probably needs to consider. Okay. Could she start off in her home just like internet mailing things out instead of expecting foot traffic through a store? Because again, she's in a very, very small rural town. That's a choice that a lot of people have now. And as long as she doesn't have to count on being face-to-face with people. Now, I know you can do Zoom and those kind of things, but it, you know, again, with a clothing store and a retail store, people like to come in. They like to look on the rack. They like to take things and try them on and things. If she can have a business that doesn't require that and use some of the technology that's out there, like the one company called MySize, I believe it is, where you can go online on their on their site and basically get measured for clothes and and have everything done over the internet. Yeah, I think she could probably do that. And that might be a wise choice, but really it depends on what type of clothing business, you know, she's going to have and what are the requirements for the consumer to feel comfortable. This is a good place to take a break because I'm sort of using my friend as an example. But when we come back, let's go into why shouldn't I invest in her idea? So we'll be right back with Michael Brett. He is the founder and CEO of Small Cap Equity Advisors. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that affects your life in any way money-wise. We're talking about it. And today we're talking about the pitfalls of investing in a new business. Michael, I've given an example. I know there are many more out there, but right now I feel like there are just so many more people out on the market looking to open up their own business because of this great resignation. I mean, the people have gone somewhere. They still need to earn a living. So I think a lot of the people are trying to get into business for themselves. So if I have a friend who is trying to do this to open up their own business, why shouldn't I just invest and help them out? Well, you can. I'm not a big fan on friends and family investing for a lot of reasons. Um, But if you're going to do that, then you as an investor, because it's going to be your money, you really need to look at the business, look at her, look at her ability, just for the same reason the landlord would look. You know, if you put in $25,000 or whatever the amount, is that something you could afford to lose? Because like I said, 90% of businesses fail in the first couple of years. So whenever you get with friends and family and try to invest, it can be awkward because 
you know, your friends, but investing in, in a business can really destroy a friendship if you don't have a written agreement as to how much money you're going to put in, what you expect to get out, or do you want a weekly check, do you want a monthly check, a yearly check, or you just want equity. So all the terms and conditions of your investment should be spelled out in writing because friendships get hurt and it's your money. And I always tell people, look, don't invest more than you can afford to lose uh, because businesses do go under. And, you know, if you're putting your last dime into a business thinking it's going to be your retirement nest egg, that's the wrong way to invest. So again, same points that I made for the landlord. You need to look at her and the type of business, the type of location she's going to secure. Does it have a lot of foot traffic? Is she going to work out of her house? If she's going to work out of the house, does she have a an e-commerce site that can sustain sales and sell product? So all those things you should look at. But I really caution people that you know want to be a friends and family type investor. Now, having said that, that's friends and family around is really what most startup ventures have to turn to. I get calls or emails on a weekly basis from somebody like you're describing, and they say, uh, I want to be introduced to some venture capital firms. Well, first off, a venture capital firm is not interested in a startup. If you're uh, starting, you're probably going to be needing what we call pre-seed financing, which is probably going to be in the area of 25000 to maybe 100000 Venture capital firms, that's just not their cup of tea. So you, you need to turn to friends and family for those smaller amounts of money. Then as you build the business and get more traction, sales, revenue, and you start coming up the food chain, then you get to bigger and bigger rounds of financing, which you, then you have to go to outside investors. And that's one reason why the crowdfunding was instituted about 2016 under the JOBS Act. It allows companies to do crowdfunding, get their business out there, and attract investment capital. So you can avoid that friends and family embarrassment. Because I can tell you, if you get money from a friend or family member, and then you have to get together with them for Thanksgiving and Christmas, and you lost the money, it's kind of awkward. Ooh, okay. Well, how do you recommend people who do want to go into business for themselves what are some of the first steps they need to take to be financially secure when they open their doors? Good question. Like I mentioned, they need to, as a small business owner just starting out, they need to make sure that their personal finances are in shape, that they have enough emergency money set aside. Now, some advisors will say you need six months. Not if you're going to start a business. I tell people you need to have at least two years of personal money set aside so that you can cover your house payment or your rent or food and insurance, medical costs, etc. That's the first thing uh, that they need to get their house in order on that. Then once they determine the type of business that they want to be in, how much money is it going to take to make a success? Now, people think $100,000 is a lot of money. In some cases, that's just enough money to cause a problem. So they really need to sit down and look at their industry that they're going to get, like in the case of your friend who wants to get into the retail clothing business, she really needs to sit down and look at that particular business. What are the pros and cons? What's the competition? What are they using for money? How much money did they start the business with? So again, it all comes down to planning. 
I know a lot of people don't like to do that. They they hear all these stories about, you know, a business that was started on the back of a napkin and they became extremely wealthy and successful. And that's the exception to the rule. Really, they have to plan out like I just been describing and then jumpstart it. You know, if you got the money somehow and you got your location, if you require a location, then get into business and work it. You did mention in the first segment that you don't always recommend a business plan. Why or why not? Again, I'm not a big fan of business plans. The only people that really benefit from a business plan are the people who charge to put a business plan together. And the reason I say <laughs> right. and the reason I say that is most investors don't read them. They have advisors, attorneys, CPAs, etc. They just don't have time to read a 50-page business plan. You know, they're too busy making money. I mean, if it's a, a doctor or a, some kind of wealthy real estate investor, they're busy running their own enterprise. You know, it's not that they're not interested and they're just going to write a check helter-skelter. But again, business plans, people get hung up on having all the pie charts and 50 pages and, and going on and on. The business plan works for the entrepreneur as a blueprint. But it's not really a tool to get out there and raise money. I, I know at the top of the hour I said, well, your your friend should have a business plan to show the landlord. Well, that's to show the landlord the blueprint that your friend can follow in order to be able to pay the rent. It sounds like it may not be, and maybe we don't want to call it a business plan per se, but for your own personal use, a blueprint for yourself to keep you on track of where it is you're trying to get to. And that is what you can show the few people that may ask for it to make sure that they're going to be okay if they get into business with you, whether that's a landlord or an investor. Yes, exactly. And then having said that, I tell people when they contact me, look, there's only two legal ways to raise capital. You have to have a registration statement with the SEC, or you have to file for one of the exemptions of registration, such as a Reg A or a Reg D. Now, again, having said that, people, when they just start out in business, you know, they pay maybe five or $10,000 to somebody to put a business plan together. And they think they can go out and solicit capital and take some investor's check just with the business plan. You can't do that. So that's why I say business plans are really not the tool to raise money, but they are a blueprint to show yourself and keep you on track or, again, show a landlord or maybe, again, friends and family type investor that you know what you're doing and there's a chance that you could be successful. What are the illegal ways to get money? Well, going out with a business plan or a deck. <laughs> that's all you have. And the reason it is is because – there are security laws, state and federal security laws that you have to abide by when you're raising capital. Now, I don't want to get too technical, but if you, again, if you're going to go out and raise capital from a stranger, you know, which happens, you want to have a risk disclosure document, which is what we call in the business a PPM, a private placement memorandum. And that is a legal document that should be prepared by a securities lawyer as a risk disclosure document so that you're disclosing everything to the investor. If you read a, a PPM, it'll say, don't invest your money. This, this is a high risk. It, you could lose all your money. Those are all the disclaimers that have to be included as a risk 
disclosure document. Most business plans don't have the legalese in it to protect you and to protect the investor. What happens is if you don't have that risk of disclosure document, that PPM, if something goes wrong with the enterprise, the business, the investor is going to come back to you and say, hey, look, I want my money back. This didn't happen. This didn't happen. Or, you know, I expected this. And that's why I say everything's got to be down in writing. Well, if you have a PPM and you've done it legally, have an attorney do it, and the investor signs it, you know, signs everything, says, yes, I know it needs my money. I know I'm not entitled to my money back under any circumstances. And I agree that if you lose all my money, then we just part. I mean, basically, that's what the risk disclosure document is. So it's illegal not to follow state and federal security laws. And you would be surprised how many times I get contacted on a weekly basis from people who, when I start talking about, oh, no, I I don't want to spend that kind of money. You're either going to spend the money now to do it legally, or you're going to spend a lot more later on when the SEC and the state regulators come knocking on the door because something went wrong. So, again, the legal way is to comply with state and federal security laws. The illegal way is just to use a business plan or a deck. And maybe not go to the guy that breaks arms if you don't pay the money back. <laughs> yeah, you want, to stay, you want to stay away from them. They don't care about your business plan or anything. They just care about the interest. Right. You know, and that oh. compounds daily. <laughs> right. Is anything else we need to let the listeners know if they are either A, planning to open their own business, or maybe they're the friend or family of someone who is, and they are thinking, well, maybe I should invest in this. Yeah, um, you know, I don't want to repeat the, the, the answers that I talked about earlier, but what I would say is for anybody that's trying to either start a business or if you've been in business a certain number of years, really take a hard look at equity crowdfunding or Regulation A offering. Those offerings, uh, they were a part of the JOBS Act that was passed to allow small businesses to access capital. And what you do under both of those scenarios is you go to a, a platform such as Start Engine or Micro Ventures or Flash Funder. There are, there's probably 50 of them out there. There are funding platforms regulated by the SEC, but there's about 10 of them that are, that are good. And you go to one of those platforms, you upload your offering documents, your business plan, your videos, everything about it, and then you raise capital through those platforms. You know, the old style of, you know, before the Jobs Act was, well, I'll put a business plan together and I'll, I'll find somebody that could just carry my business plan and around and try to raise money. That never worked and it doesn't work now, not with the Internet the way it is and, and with these funding portals. The piece of advice I give to people is, look, you can go with friends and family initially to get some seed money, but your next step should be to really look hard and fast at the equity crowdfunding or a Regulation A type offering that allows you to get out and solicit capital through these funding platforms. Michael, if anybody wants to get a little bit more help, are you available to help them? Absolutely. Yeah, they can email me, Mike Brett. B-R-E-T-T-E at gmail.com. Or they could go to my LinkedIn page, uh, my profile, and it gives a lot of details on you know what I do and how I do it. 
Great. Again, Michael Brett, you are the founder and CEO of Small Cap Equity Advisors, and you've helped get us a little bit of information on where we need to start if we're planning on opening our own business or if you're planning to hand over some money to a friend or family member who is opening their own business. So thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening. You can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com. That's h-k-e-l-l-y at ksl.com. And because this is Money Making Sense, you can subscribe for free on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, and you'll never miss another episode. Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener. Follow your common sense on the social media, Money Making Sense, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.